you can ask my wife. We were going into Publix beforehand to pick up some stuff uh, before we went over to Ryan and Heather's house. And I said, mm, I'm feeling like, you know, I'm going to try to handle this loss like an adult. And Samantha's like, well, do you really think this is going to be a loss? And then I was like, mm, yeah, kind of feeling that way. And so I just had, I had a bad, I had a bad feeling. I couldn't find my socks. I got my good lucky game day socks. And then I put them in the dirty clothes somehow while I was running around trying to get ready. And I didn't wear the right socks. And I, you know, that's, that's really what sunk us, but that's neither here nor there. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. In today's episode, we are going to apparently go through couples therapy, is what Nathan said. We're about to just get right dirty into this dang thing and talk about trolley cars, uh, you know, street performers, trumpets and trombones, and then we're going to talk about Zatarans and jazz music. So that's pretty much this entire episode is Louisiana-based. Yeah, no, it's all Louisiana-based. And no, this is, this is really accurate. This, this feels really good. You go to New Orleans and, you know, you make some bad decisions. You have a little bit of extra cash and you come home, you're feeling those after effects and you got to sit down with your significant other and you got to have the define the relationship talk. And that's what we're about to have right now. Us and you, the listener, and we're about to just define some things about, you know, the way the world works that you need to take into consideration going forward. And, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll gladly take your half of it. It's once true we're because like if, if this is going to work between me and you. We're going to need to figure some stuff out real quick. You you, you made an ass of yourself on Twitter over the past like 48 hours. And I'm going to need to see some like contrition and some changes in behavior. You know, it's all about behavior modification right now. This is just, this is classroom management. And we're going to have to meet somewhere in the middle here, you and I. Uh, before we really get into it, though, we do want to say one thing. And it's it's a very exciting piece of information. Oh, my gosh. Very yeah, exciting. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. I, we... Let's let's reset because I just was in like angry teacher tone and I'm going to get okay. back in there. But like, let's hold on. Reset. Hold on. We're going to do a quick mindfulness <sighs> okay. exercise. We cut that out, though. Happy. Happy, happy Nathan, Nathan. Coming back at you with a happy announcement. Justin, hit him. This is our very first sponsored episode. This episode has been sponsored. We were approached by a, an organization called GoMed and one of uh, our listeners named Barrett. And Barrett came to us with an ask that he wanted to, in exchange for goods and services, and the goods and services being uh, Nathan and I talking about what they do, they would then give us money. And so here we are, our very first sponsored episode with GoMed. Uh, so GoMed, if you might be asking yourself, what is GoMed? That sounds like a startup from the 90s that's failed and come back to life as some sort of zombie company. Incorrect, sir. Go GoMed is an on-demand medical services company. And... We're going to get into all sorts of what that means, but what I would, I would, I would give you the analogy of: imagine if Uber Eats and your doctor's office and Netflix had a baby. Uh, and we'll get back into that more in the middle of the episode. But before that, we're going to get straight into our experiences. So, Nathan, Nathan, you didn't even go on the road; you stayed at home and you watched this. Yeah, I did. I was actually with for you part for of part it. of it. Yeah. So, personal experience: we went over to Heather and Ryan's, uh, your lovely in-laws' house. We haven't been able to hang out with them in. A little bit uh, as frequently as we'd like to, just because they had babies. Um, and, you know, I kind of was an anxious, nervous mess, and then we lost, but I thought we were going to, yeah, the morning of, I kind of felt like, I kind of felt this loss coming a little bit. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. You can ask my wife. You can ask my wife. We were going into Publix beforehand to pick up some stuff uh, before we went over to Ryan and Heather's house. And I said, mm, I'm feeling like, you know, I'm going to try to handle this loss like an adult. And Samantha's like, well, do you really think this is going to be a loss? And then I was like, mm, 
yeah, kind of feeling that way. And so I just had, had a bad, I had a bad feeling. I couldn't find my socks. I got my good lucky game day socks. And then I put them in the dirty clothes somehow while I was running around trying to get ready. And I didn't wear the right socks. And I, you know, that's, that's really what sunk us, but that's neither here nor there. You can't get Roddy. You know what I mean? You know, I made the right decision and the wrong outcome was not the problem. Right, right, right thought, right action. That's what, that's where we're about over, <laughs> over here in this Buddhist corner. One of my favorite, can I just say one of my favorite pieces that came out of uh, Saturday night, we went to a wedding. So I only saw you for half of the, the actual game. The second half I watched uh, on my phone during uh, a wedding ceremony. And then <laughs> uh, I also watched it at the bar there uh, during the cocktail hour. But one of my favorite pieces to come from this experience of yours watching it at the Clark's house was a picture of you like staring off like a thousand yard stare, holding a baby in one arm and pretending like you're interested in playing Yahtzee with the rest of your body. And clearly you're just dead inside and nothing else can save you. You're dead to the world at that point, but that's okay. Well, I, th- I think the most important thing, and I'm going to pull that picture up now just so I can get, I can give you a pic- it's right sort here. of a pictorial rundown of it. Um, yeah, I'm pretending to care about Yahtzee. And the baby is also pretending to care yep. about Yahtzee, and I'm sort of like football holding this baby. The baby's name is Zoe. I don't want to, I don't want to make this baby seem like an object. But before they turn fifth, like seventeen, they're pretty much objects. <laughs> Until they pass ninth grade literature, then they can talk. I'm holding this baby, and the baby and I are both staring into the middle distance. And you can just see my wife's arm, just sort of like snaked into the frame, and it, and it's just a really good summation of my relationship with my wife, which is that. I'm sad about football, and Samantha is worried that I'm going to destroy something precious by my inattention and nonchalance. Because, like, I was raised in a household because my mom is, I have three younger siblings, and my mom's a nurse midwife. So there are like a lot of babies around. And we, I, I'm just used to sort of like juggling babies around and throwing them up and like putting little toddlers up on my feet and like doing an airplane and kicking them up and like tossing toddlers and stuff. It, it you know, it was kind of a rough, rough housing household where I grew up. But uh, so when I hold babies, I, tra- I traditionally, my whole thing is like a baby is like a basketball. If you can hold it in one hand, why wouldn't you? It's just like, it, I'm not showing off. I can just do this. Like the rest of you guys need to man up about like baby holding technique. I don't need to like push my baby holding technique down. That's why, that's why <laughs> I really hope my mom who is like a healthcare professional who, you know, focuses on the rearing of children. I really hope my mom does not find this this little blurb of audio and that this doesn't come back I to I definitely will not send it to in her. In the next like six weeks. I would never yeah. do that. Well, I, I hate to tell you that my wife has already said it. No, nope, I'm <laughs> okay, sending good. it I'm to her. Okay, good. I'm glad somebody's so. already got that cornered. So let's get into, we've already talked about our, our experiences in a, a kind of roundabout way. Uh, do you know, how do you feel about, uh, did you hear anything from the band or anything? Have you gotten anything... No, I mean, I didn't hear too much. I know much. they only sent it, the derbies, but... They, well, they sent, yeah, they sent small derbies, which is like 45 people. Um, And this is always like one of those trips, SEC West trips that are not Auburn, tend to be kind of like marathons where it's, you know, you got to, you drive all the way out there, you get there the night before, you don't, can't really do much, you know, maybe you have to go, you go have dinner and then you go to sleep and then you go up early the next morning, you do the game the whole day, go back to sleep, wake up and come home and then you're home at Sunday night late, so... Uh, it's a real marathon, and you know I thought they comported themselves well. I thought the mic situation was a little weird, but um, I was hearing like kind of a, a anxiety based mm-hmm. drone in my <laughs> head for most of the time. So uh, I haven't gone back and looked up what exactly the mic situation was because I know I could hear the derbies, but I don't know if they were miked this time because sometimes they mic the opposing bands and sometimes they don't. So anyway, yeah, but I mean I thought they did well. They took they took four very good tuba players, so um, it would. You know, it would have surprised me if it were anything but yeah. going well. And they, 
you know, I thought, uh, I, you know, honestly, thinking back about it, like, I don't think I really heard the either band that I much. I did hear one time. thing, and that was that we got necked. I mean, neck's good. Although I will say, like, I, I would, I would hear, I would hear an argument that Southern University's version might be better. You listen to them side by side. I, I think it's a difference in terms of what do you want from tone concept and what do you care about in the, you know, what do you care about swung versus technical. Um, interestingly, I think the LSU's version is a little bit more swung. Southern's is a little bit more straight up and square, which is sort of the reverse of the racial stereotype that you would think about. Um, Southern being an HBCU school. But we got next, but like that that's like the 35th worst thing that happened. Oh, for sure. Well, I was more just drawing attention to the fact that it's been supposedly banned. Well, I thought it had been banned. It has been but for like the past seven years. Apparently not. They'll, well, so what I think happened was, so the band didn't play it. I think it was played over the speakers. But the fans uh, still... Still saying Oh, it. yeah. Oh, yeah, they did. I mean, good for them. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I never begrudge... I would never begrudge them that. Like, I'm actually glad UGA doesn't play Nick because, like, I'm pretty sure in my capacity as a member of UGA's band staff, I couldn't sing the lyrics and I would really want to. Yeah. You know what I mean? You've got too much respect for the band to do that. Yeah. Well, I've, I think it would be more like the whole band would want to, but couldn't because, you know, we're the face of the university or whatever. Yeah. Or whatever. Um, I also saw that LSU got fined $100,000 for storming the field. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, they should have gotten fined whatever shred of dignity they have left for storming a, an opponent that was only like eight or nine spots above them, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, don't act like you've been there before or anything. Yeah. Bunch of Cajun bastards. <laughs> uh, I, You know, whatever. It's fine. It's That's part of losing. So you got to just take it in the face. Before we get do? into the, the stats and whatnot, do you want to shake out any other like narrative piece of this before you really get into like numbers and things? Um, I would say that my general approach is that, you know, much like the fall of Arthas in the World of Warcraft universe, now that I've come back as the Death Knight, now that I've come back as the Lich King, like, I can't be hurt. Like, the only thing that animates my sports body is a dread fire that deserves to, that desires to destroy. And there's no amount of, like, chopping this, like, dead sports skeleton into pieces where it won't just reassemble itself and keep on shambling. So not really. Um, there are, in the same sense that zombies aren't afraid of flame, I, I don't, you know, yeah. I haven't really gotten too caught up in the narrative. Man, that was a, and that I, was and really, I, I liked what you just said right now. Like that was that appealed to a lot of senses for me, like literary piece of me, <laughs> and like my nerdy side. Thank you. And I hit the World of Warcraft. Yeah, thing. that was well, also oh. Warcraft. Arthas fell and then came back in Warcraft two. Well, no, he came. He came back in Warcraft three. Yeah, he came back in Warcraft three as the Lich King, but also I think there were like two like inner tertiary. Uh, books and i think that's where he originally came back i think i've read all the warcraft books at this point um anyway um there's a really good youtube series called eight book eight bit book club where they read books based on video games and like kind of make fun of them but also just talk about them and i've read most of them also before anybody at you i i wanted to say uh the lich king is not arthas but he did arthas merged with the lich king just anybody anybody out there that's gonna like edit us and try to like really throw some world yeah, into warcraft yeah. lore at us i just wanted to put that out there yeah i mean warcraft i would say is like in my second or tertiary tier of like nerd knowledge kind of just in my periphery mm-hmm. i know a lot more about diablo lore than i know about oh, warcraft hell lore, yeah. for instance i knew a lot about warcraft as the uh like the rts games more than i did about the world of warcraft so yeah 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 i mean i'm real, i'm all about that jobs done that good good <laughs> jobs done shit um i'm right i'm i'm in i'm here for that but i'm sorry about yeah. all of the listener base we just alienated by talking about the nerdiest thing we could possibly talk about 
we're going to go back 30 seconds and just insert this piece right here, which is if you're not a dork, just go ahead and just skip over like next 15 seconds. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> let's talk numbers. Yeah, let's talk numbers. So uh, running down some things, I think there are some interesting things to see. And I, and I, and I think that there are some, there are some solves to your, your hurt pride if we go through this a little bit. And I think we can, um, I think we can sort of, we can do a postmortem on this zombie body uh, <laughs> in a way that's pretty accurate. Like we know what killed this thing. We know it's going to come back to life because it's, it's driven by dark powers beyond human comp- uh, you know, comprehension. Mm-hmm. So let's see. Uh, LSU 36, UGA, uh, UGA 16, uh, win probability, LSU 79%, drives, LSU 14, UGA 12, plays, LSU 81, UGA 64, yards, LSU 475, UGA 322, yards per possession, or yards per play, LSU uh, 580, 5.86, um, UGA 5.03, uh, success rate LSU 35 UGA 41 that's interesting yeah. scoring opportunities and I think this is sort of what tells the tale here scoring opportunities LSU uh, 8 Georgia 5 points per scoring opportunity LSU 4.5 Georgia 3.4 average field position LSU 3.1 or 31.6 Georgia 26.4 yards per I'm not gonna go through all the margins just do some subtraction yeah. um, the only other thing I think I'd point out is uh, the expected turnover margin would be LSU positive 1.64, UGA negative 1.64, and it ended up being LSU positive 4, UGA minus 4, which gave UGA about 0.236 turnovers of bad turnover luck, which has been interesting because we've been kind of turnover lucky. So if we go through our SMP plus update, including games after 10-12, UGA's record is currently 6-1. and one. Our second order win probability is 5.9, putting us at a negative 0.1 game margin so we basically are a six and one team we played like one our smp plus percentile is 96.4 smp plus margin is 19.7 our rank overall is sixth offensive smp plus is sixth defensive smp plus is 25th that's kind of fallen special teams but i have specific thoughts about that special teams smp plus 13th last week we were third we let we dropped three point we dropped three spots so i think before we get into the advanced stat score, uh, uh, box score of this game, I think it's interesting just to think about what you know about UGA to this point based on your five factors, your knowledge of five factors of UGA. So don't cheat. Just think about what do we know about UGA based on our five factors? What are we good at? What are we bad at? Coming into what I'm about to read to you right now. Because I think that that if we just think about sort of our like original proposition as what we were week five, new proposition week six, Overall, in our advanced stats, we can see exactly what went wrong this game. So let's go through these real quick. UGA, efficiency, 8. This is on offense. Efficiency, 8th. Success rate, 8th. Marginal efficiency, 4th. ISPPP, 18th. Marginal explosiveness, 22nd. Uh, field position, 94th. Um, finishing drives, 36th. Expected turnover margin, 23rd. Actual turnover margin, 45th. Efficiency, 70th. Marginal efficiency. This is defense. So we're going to defense now. And this is where it gets kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, efficiency 70th, marginal efficiency 29th, explosiveness 13th, marginal explosiveness 16th, field position 46th, finishing drives 32nd. Expected turnovers were 3.7, actual turnovers was plus 2. So you got about negative 1.2 uh, turnover luck per game. So just think about in your mind before, if you have been paying attention, what you probably said when I set up this proposition to you initially was that, well, UGA is not very efficient on defense, but we're very good at defending the explosive play and we're pretty efficient and we're pretty explosive. And what you can see, like the real change is, and this is what's really intriguing to me and, and intriguing in actually a couple of ways, because I think there are some good things to take out of this. Some good, the, the real change to me is that UGA was very good 
uh, at playing an efficient defense last week and not good at defending explosive plays. There's a couple of reasons why I think that's actually good news. One, I think part of the reason that we we got way better at uh, defending the explosive play or defending efficiency is because they weren't a very efficient offense to begin with. But I also think it has to do with the fact that Monty Rice really, really emerged as a very good inside linebacker. I thought he looked excellent all day. I thought he got a little crossed up in pass coverage a couple of times. But there's really nothing nothing that I saw out of him that wasn't positive on the whole. Okay, I also think part of the, you know, the other part, thing that's kind of heartening to me is Ultimately, I don't think the first five games are a fluke. I don't think this game is a fluke either when it comes to defending explosiveness. I think we just got out game planned, but I don't think that any of the players that gave us a top, like, you know, the top overall defensive explosiveness defense in the nation, I don't think any of those factors have gone away. Because if you think about going into the season, did you affect, did you expect Drew Locke to be the reason that our explosiveness numbers defensively went way down, or did you expect Joe Burrow? And the answer is probably Drew Locke, and it should be because yeah. Drew Locke's a better quarterback yep. than Drew Burrow. Objectively, I mean, this isn't sour grapes. These are just numbers. Like these are these just are what they are. Uh, to me, even before we can get into the advanced box score, and this kind of tells more tells more of the tale of the tape here. But to me, that that is sort of what it boils down to. You know, this is still a very efficient defense, or this is still a pretty good defense at defending explosive plays. Maybe not number one in the nation, but very good. Right, better than Ohio State arguably better than Alabama at doing that, right? If this just becomes a decent defense at defending efficiency, which it seems to be headed that way, it's going to be a fearsome defense this year and the next, right? And if we can just get out of our own way offensively, which I think, you know, some of that's play calling, some of that's uh, talent and how that talent is developing. If we can just get out of our own way, I think everything is really very much still in front of us. I think we could easily lose to Kentucky and Florida. I don't think that there's a team left on the schedule that I would say, we definitely are going to lose to them. I mean, I I don't I'm I don't think so. Our win probability has gone down considerably for the next three games than it was before. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean I I I hundred percent understand that. I mean I'm not. You know I mean currently we're sitting at what's our win probability for Florida right now? Sixty three percent, and then Kentucky sixty four percent. Yeah, so it's a five point nine per point game and a six point. Yeah, game. that sounds about right. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I, those are going to be harder games than we thought coming in the year, but that's what it is. And that's the thing is like those those numbers only make sense if you really think that this team is not actually the sixth best team in the nation. Yeah, because the sixth best team in the nation probably whips that ass when we play Florida. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like they probably do. Now, if we get out schemed again, that's not going to happen. But I'm just saying, yeah. There are some signs that maybe, you know, the way we're coaching that we are putting we're going to put ourselves in a hole going forward. But coaching's the kind of thing where, you know, you can break tendencies pretty easily mentally. Like, well, not easily, but you can do it. So I, I, I'm not I don't think we should lock ourselves into being too negative, even from a stats standpoint. Yeah. Is there anything else you're, you want to look at in the footprints? I'm not, I know I just talked a lot there. No, but you're good. LB Havoc rate looks really good right now. 16th in the nation. That's really yeah, good. It's gotten a lot better, which is really nice. That it did actually go up by a full percentage point. But one thing that I've been worried about is that we're, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of different, we're seeing a lot of change in our team. And the reason why the next two games have me more worried than they had previously with Florida and Kentucky, I've been saying Kentucky is better than we thought they were since like week two, but that's not necessarily, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not counting points here, or like keeping a score by any means, but what, what they're doing is they seem to be getting better and we seem to be still trying to almost, almost seem to like tr- be trying to figure things out like we're still trying to find our identity and then that's one of like the subjective narratives being pushed out there by the media right now but like it's kind of true offensively and our pieces on defense that are our big issues like uh you know our 
run defense and like our our hole in Tyson Campbell, like those things have still kind of stayed the same. Like Tyson Campbell's gotten a lot better and we have figured a lot of things out with our, our past def- or our run defense, but it, it just it, it seems to be pretty stagnant at this point. That kind of stinks, but at the same time it's not I'm not super worried about it at the same time because we're still like we're we're still a good team overall. It's not like we're getting worse and we're spiraling by any means. It's just that I would have hoped a lot of more pieces had kind of set in stone and like kind of come together by this point. Does that make sense? Uh, I mean, I agree and I disagree. I mean, I I think you're right in the sense that like yeah, our run defense is still just is what it yeah. is, and that you know we we just have to develop more. We have to develop the freshmen that we mm-hmm. have, and that's, that's just going to take time. Yeah, but I would say, you know, I mean, objectively, we are better at, re- at defending efficiency. And part of that, a lot of that is run defense. And that I would also say that, you know, the continued development of the inside linebackers, the continued development of people like Jordan Davis, I, 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 I understand and I think there's real reason for frustration about this individual game. I would caution, I would say my overall kind of takeaway from the game, and I don't want to spoil anything that we're going to do going forward, but my overall takeaway is, Look, objectively, coming into this game beforehand, we kind of we kind of touched on this, and I guess we probably should have been more like we should have gone into this a little bit more. But this is probably not the team that was ever going to win the national championship as long as Alabama keeps playing the way oh, they're playing. Yeah. And, I mean, that's just that is what yeah. it is, and that's still the case. And so, if this loss is different between a Sugar Bowl and going to the CFP, yeah, that sucks. But like, you know, anything can happen in one game, man. But. I don't really think anyone's beating Alabama. No. I, I hate to tell you that. And I don't think we got the defense to slow them down. And if we keep playing offense like we did, we definitely we definitely don't have the offense to keep up with them. And that's all right. Like, I, I don't I, – we can get into my own personal thoughts on this, but, like, it comes down to more of an existential question of, like, what do you expect from this team every year? And, like, I, I agree. Like, if we win – if we lose three games, it's going to be a disappointing season. If we lose another game and it's close – and we just get like our asses whipped one game and then the next game and you know the next game we lose a close game to a good team like yeah that's going to suck but like you got to ask yourself does that suck because of the way the team played or does that suck because you have a friend who's a Florida fan because <laughs> if it's the second one then like you should just shut the f- up i get i hear what you're saying i i absolutely agree like i did not go into the season thinking we were going to go back to the national championship and then i saw alabama play the way they were playing and i was like oh yeah we're it's fine like i don't expect us to go there and i think that we need to get on the same page as kirby smart in knowing that the, I don't think that is his goal this year. He is looking, he's always looking long-term and he's always trying to figure out what the next steps are further down the road than this season. And if that's how we're going to play, then that that's not the coach you want because that's the coach that wants right, to hit yeah. like uh like flash in the pan, get out and go make money somewhere else. Well, yeah. And his, well, I mean, and the thing is he says every week, like, you know, he wants to play to the standard and we did not coach the standard. We did not play to the standard. You know what I mean? Yeah. So let, 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 let's, let's go into this. We, we've kind of been talking around it. So what were your observations based on your, your game? Because we kind of spoiled, we kind of spoiled our takeaways. We kind of just talked about our. We takeaways. did, so you're right. Yeah. So our observations. What, what did you see? Uh, what did you see? We we got too predictable. I, I feel like by the end of the day, um, I think that a lot of people were trying to blame Jake Fromm, but I really don't think that it it doesn't all lay in him. And if you think no, no, it doesn't. Yeah, if you point blame at Jake Fromm, then you're kind of believing this whole quarterback controversy thing. And there is no quarterback controversy. I think there is a, a you know, people have been saying there is a situation, and I think that's more fair to say than it is a controversy because there's nothing between the two of them. They're not trying to outplay each other necessarily. They're both trying to do what's best for the team and what they're being coached to do. And I think if you look at it like that, you understand a little bit better and you could look at the whole picture better and understand that this is more of a coaching situation. We got outcoached, which I don't think has really ever happened but once in this entire 
you know, uh, Kirby Smart era in the last few years is like, we got out coached this game. And I don't necessarily think it was Kirby's fault. I mean, he will take blame for it because he is the head coach at the end of the day. That's what his title is. But this was an offensive failure. And if you just look at the the pieces of the, you know, the, all the play calling that came down to it, it, it's not because Jake Fromm had autonomy. He wasn't in the field making these calls because I sat there and I watched maybe only a handful of RPOs from Jake Fromm where he chose to, to pass instead of run. And then even when Justin Fields was in, I think he made one poor decision to throw instead of run the ball. He had a, a better route to run than I think it was Elijah Holyfield at the time who ended up, or no, it was Brian Harry, excuse me. He ran for maybe two yards and you know, got tackled. Ultimately, here, yeah, and I think offensive failure is the right offensive word. Offensive failure, yeah. When, when you have a running back who goes seven carries for 56 yards, eight yards a carry, four line yards per carry, 71% success rate, the fact that you only gave that guy seven carries is the reason you lost this game. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't want to be reductive, but, like, it's not like a lot of things come from the fact that you only give Elijah Holyfield seven carries. It's not just that you only gave your player who's playing well seven carries, because obviously if you give him 10 carries, his numbers are going to be different and probably worse, right? Just that's just the way numbers work. But it, it just, it, it belies, you know, one of the things that I've always really liked about Jim Chaney and I've met Jim Chaney personally. I've actually had to sit, I've been able to sit down and talk to Jim Chaney for like 30 minutes one time. Uh, we never talked about football or anything, but I mean, I found him to be like a super affable guy. God, he's so smart. <laughs> really, really like, like really sharp guy, like really knows what he's doing. Doesn't miss a lot. Like, like has a lot of interesting things to say about non-football issues and, you know, seems to genuinely care about his kids. So I got, I got nothing bad to say about him as a human. And I actually think he's a pretty good offensive coach, yeah. but like one of the things that we always said about Jim Cheney that I liked was that, you know, he kind of do anything and he's, he can fit. What you want to do as a head coach, and it's pretty clear that what Kirby Spartan wants to do is be, you know, a dominant running team and impose your will and keep chopping and all that stuff that he says, right? And the other thing I like about Jim Chaney is that in the past, what he's shown is that he just will keep doing something until it stops working. And this is my real frustration with this game. So here's something we saw coming into the game. What we saw is that we were playing, uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to tip my hat because uh, Dustin Allen, who is one of the coaches at Commerce, pointed this out to me, uh, and then I went back and watched it, and he's absolutely true. He's absolutely right. So here's what we, here's what we did. What we did was we saw that they were playing a shade nose, and then they were playing a five, right? So their nose was shading one side of the of the center on every uh, team on every snap, mm-hmm. right? And then they're playing a five technique, like outside of the guard, or like on the tackle, basically on that side. So basically, what we did was. We, we would trap down, we would double block the shade nose to that side, to the side he was shaded, and then we would run a draw like past him. And we would just have numbers on that side of the field because that's just what they were doing, right? And we did it like four or five times and it just kept working, right? And so the thing is, to my remembrance, mm-hmm. and I haven't gone back and watched every play of the game, that never didn't work. We just stopped doing it. And that is my frustration. Yep. That is my frustration. It's not the fake field goal right fake field goals like whatever yeah right you're down the difference between the difference between down being down four and doing down seven it's 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 a big difference at the end of the game but ultimately in what you're play calling it shouldn't matter right you, if you're down 10 in the first quarter you can run your way into winning that game you absolutely can so that's that's my frustration and if you look down the uh the, just the rushing stats the the, the game our rushing stats don't look that much different than the LSU rushing stats who ended up running no. almost 300 yards on the ground against us looking across the board, all of our rushing stats were already above average as well. We were running five yards per carry. Our success rate was 44%, which is 6% higher than theirs. You know, it just going down the line, it's, it's just ridiculous that we only ran between Elijah Holyfield and DeAndre Swift 19 times on the game. 
and they had eight and six yards per carry respectively. So, wow. And they had three and a half and four <laughs> line yards per carry. Yeah. That's my thing. So it's not like these were not fluky runs. They were not getting stuffed. Like their their success rate, 50 and 71%. Their opportunity rate, 50 and 71%. It's like these guys were just kicking ass. And I mean, and if you look at even, if you think about the way we played defensively, right? So like defensively, we we had a better rushing success rate than them. Mm -hmm. We had a better passing success rate than them. We had a better standard downs and passing down success rate than them. In fact, the, the best the most above average thing that was done by a team this game offensively was our success rate rushing. Yep. On the other hand, we gave up a lot more explosiveness. And I think there's a reason for that. I think we were playing like tight. We we're playing linebackers tight all day because we were just trying to stop them. And there were a couple of times, especially on those fourth down plays where like we had one guy and if the, and he's in the right spot, if he makes the tackle, then we get the ball back and he didn't. And then they ran for 20 yards. It's like, whatever that happens. And then that's the other thing is like, you, you this is another reason why you got to tune out the narratives. Cause I'm going to have a whole rant about this in a minute, but it's just like, sometimes you do the right thing and it just doesn't work. Yeah. That's Roddy. We always talk about not getting Roddy. Don't get results oriented. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of times we were doing the right thing and it didn't work. And that's fine. Like I even probably, I think that, that, fake field goal which we're gonna get into later that, i think that fake field goal was not a horrible call it did, and it just didn't work and that's part of it mm -hmm. right so i don't know have you got any other observations from this game or do you want to get into some some more like let's deal with this fan let, let, do you want to get moving towards to our couple therapy oh, my, my very last piece is i will uh since i know joe burrow is listening to this show i, I just wanted to say yeah joe burrow friend of the show i talked a lot of trash about joe burrow uh last episode and i just wanted to say you did what you had to do joe you came out you made it happen. You made your team less predictable. And that's that's a big reason why the run game happened is it, it was so successful is because Joe was <laughs> I feel so odd calling him just Joe casual Joe. Uh, he was hitting who he needed to hit. He was picking on Tyson Campbell all day. I think they were I counted six or seven plays where Tyson Campbell just got beat. And that's all it was like he had just as many plays where he played well. But at the end of the day, like a lot of those big explosive plays came from him just getting beat because if you look at Joe Burrow's stat line, he only had 15 completions, but still good for 200 yards. And that put him in possession or position just to get close enough to or in order to score on the ground. So I think he did his job and I think he did it well. No, I mean, he's a good, he's a good player. I mean, he, I thought, I thought the way he ran, I was really more impressed with his running than I was with his oh, passing. Oh, for sure. But without that passing game, I don't think that his running would have been as good as it was. So one more take. The only other takeaway I had was ultimately we had 11 points of bad turnover luck. If this is a 36 to 27 game, we're having a much different conversation. My advice to all of you, the adjusted score range on this game is like a nine point game. My advice to all of you is to consider this game as a nine point loss and move on with your life. And, and anyone that talks to you about it being as anything other than a nine point loss, a loss that we should have had that we deserve to have, but was still, you know, not embarrassing, then just ignore them. All right, let's let's get into some prediction review. Talk to me. Oh, I was also going to say that if we were going to lose one of the next four games, it's the one we wanted to lose. There's that at least. Now we got two weeks to prepare for Florida, yeah. who is considerably better than LSU. I would I would say even S and P Plus says no, they're it. not. No, they're yeah, not. they are. No, they don't. Yes, it does. There's uh, uh, there's no way. That's oh, true. I'm looking at it right now, my friend. You're looking at the S and P Plus ranks, and Florida is is ranked above. They LSU. sure are. That's kind of shocking to me. Consider, well, I guess the S and P Plus ranks are a little bit. Um, they're more elastic than they try not to react week to week, but they do. And th but the thing is that Florida is only 13th to LSU's 14 now. 
but the thing about Florida's uh, ranking just across the board is that they have they're not as as average and consistent across the board as LSU is. They are much better defensively than they are offensively, and that's what's bringing their S and P plus rank up. Yeah, so, they're thirteenth in defense and thirty third in offense. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit different. But whereas LSU is, where are they after that win? They are four- they are fourteenth in oh, defense actually, they're and pretty similar. No, they're actually, kind of the same. Yeah, <laughs> they're just like a slightly worse version. Yeah, and they have Felipe Franks. I don't know. I haven't really watched much of Felipe Franks. I don't see a lot of Florida football. If you can imagine that. No, I mean I, I I've watched some of their games. I'm I'm not. I mean I I think that this has more to do with the fact that uh, SMP Plus didn't like LSU's first five wins very much because they were very fluky. Mm-hmm. And they finally got a non-fluky win and they moved up. I don't know if it really says much about Florida. I mean, Florida's going to be a hard, tough team to beat, and we feel like we're going to lose. So, yep. you know, that's what it is what it is. All right, let's really get into predictions now. So your very first over-under was you guessed that uh, – you asked if UGA would have 35 points. We both said over. We're both wrong, <laughs> considerably, unfortunately. So the second one was LSU over-under 200 rushing yards. Uh, you said under. I said over. They came out with 257, not 275. Um, I put 275 here for some reason, but it's definitely 257. The next piece was Justin Fields, 10 snaps. You said over, I said under. It was not too much less, but it was less. My very first over-under was two and a half UGA running backs with touchdowns. You said under. We had one running back touchdown, <laughs> which we should have had more. But I was thinking it was going to be more like two instead of two and a half. Yeah, not one. Yeah. Yeah. Over-under, 11 and a half UGA Havoc plays, just because we thought that this is going to be the game that we came out to play, and we knew that that's how you beat Joe Burrow, is you put a lot of pressure on him. But... We had yeah. four, four Havoc plays, four Havoc plays on the day. We both said under. Yeah. I still feel like we lost, though. That still feels like a loss. <laughs> over, under, Joe Burrow interceptions, two and a half. I said over, you said under. Joe Burrow threw no interceptions on his 15 for 30 day. Man, I just played, I basically just played chalk like all day mm-hmm. and got a bunch of these just by being like, mm, that just seems more unlikely. Yeah. Well, we still come so out. I- even on the day uh total yeah but i feel like i bs'd my all my wins <laughs> our score predictions were you had uga coming out on top 33 27 and i almost guessed the game um completely mirrored with uga at 38 and lsu 17 but we are of course both very wrong i didn't even bother putting the point difference because i was too depressed <laughs> yeah yeah but too i said i think that that actually i don't actually know who would win that yours is a seven four Yours is a 26-point difference, and mine is... Oh, that's embarrassing. Oh, mine's way more, though, I'm pretty sure. 41-point difference. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. Oof. Well, I don't know I don't know that we either of us deserve credit for that. No, so. no. I don't think either of us wins. Um, that game's... That, that's a, that prediction review is a push. A real good push. Yeah, good old everybody loses, and we all deserve to. We all lose. We all go home. Nobody gets their rice-a-roni, which is actually a San Francisco treat. But for the for the purpose of this episode, it comes straight from New Orleans. Do you want to go into the halftime mid-roll? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do, let's do halftime. At the very beginning of the episode, we talked a little bit about an organization that sponsored today's episode called GoMed. GoMed, like we said before, is it's making urgent care on demand. Everything these days is on demand. You got Netflix, you got podcasts. Why not healthcare? Enter GoMed. And I put here that my wife can watch 30 episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine without getting up these days if she wants. That's exactly what being on demand can do for you. So GoMed is an organization mostly comprised of nerdy UGA alums, just like most of you, us, of course, as well. You being the UGA alum, but you've got two degrees from UGA, so I just take one of them by default, right? 
Yeah, basically. Yeah, so we, we, we come out net even. These guys believe that quality healthcare shouldn't be relegated to just brick and mortar. For most, though, going to the doctor or hospital isn't just expensive. It's uncomfortable and it's strange and nobody likes it or likes showing anybody their strange growth. Or uh, Do you like going to the doctor? No. no. God, are you serious? <laughs> no. You were just sick this week. Did you go to the doctor? No. But would you have if somebody came to your house? Yeah, I'd have thought about it. You considered it. That's fine. I, I was probably like one day away from a doctor's visit, I would say. So these guys want to serve folks in the place they're most comfortable, which is, of course, their homes. And before you start ooing and eyeing, you got to realize that they're not reinventing the wheel here, but they're getting back to the basics. And if you take the facility out of the equation, this visit becomes much more affordable, safer, because you're not being exposed to other gross people and whatnot in the waiting room and all that kind of stuff. And it's less anxiety provoking, which you and I both come from uh, very anxious households, I feel. You and I are just kind of anxious people. And so this is one of those things well, that... Well, calm down there, homeboy. Okay, I'll speak for myself. Uh, would Fine. we call me an anxious person? I mean, I, I mean, think I you're have, kind of anxious. I have anxieties in the sense that like, yeah, sure, I'll stare into the middle distance and think about entropy. But I would not say like day in and day out that I'm anxious. Okay, that's fine. Samantha, thoughts? Am I an anxious person? Yeah, that was a that was a hard no. <laughs> robots don't have anxiety. I mean, robots get anxious about whether or not like all of these memories will be gone, like tears and rain, but they don't have anxiety the way that you silly humans do. Very famously, once when when Samantha was feeling some way, I was very frustrated, and I was like, "Why don't you just stop feeling that way? If you feel bad, just stop feeling a bad way." How did it's that end? Hard. I don't know that she slapped me, but she should have. Anyway. Um, so look, I'm going to give you two metaphors. I'm going to give you the metaphor that you need for this or the two examples. I'm going to give you an example that you need as a UGA fan and someone who might be thinking of being a prospective GoMed, um, customer. And then I'm going to be the metaphor you deserve based on your behavior in the past 48 hours on the internet. I like so here's it. the metaphor you need. You're sad and one of your kids is sick and you got two or three kids and you live in a beautiful nuclear household in a suburb of Atlanta. And, you know, one of your kids is kind of sick and you don't have time to go out because you got kids stuff to do and you got to cook food and then you got like your own job. And then there's like a soccer bake sale or I don't know what people with kids do. Let's just pretend. Right. And so instead of like taking all of these four youngins out, I have three siblings. I know how it is. If you have multiple, if you have multiple children going outside is basically just like an embarrassment cavalcade. It's like, <laughs> What what deep embarrassment can these children cause me? And uh, as soon as I lose, as soon as I leave my home, to the point where you just don't feel embarrassment anymore. You're you do if you're one of the siblings. So instead of going outside and having your kid lick the walls and then like put the sucker <laughs> down his pants when he gets done, and he's like the sick one that has like you know mumps or something now. Oh no, that's a serious disease. Let me be less serious. Like strep throat now, and he's like licking strep throat onto all the other kids. Like instead, you just call these good, good professionals at GoMed, and they come to your house, and they say, "Oh, what's up, little one?" And then they fix them, and then they're out of there, and that's it. That's GoMed. Now, now let me give you the example that I think you deserve based on how you, as a UGA fan, keep behaving on Twitter. So you're up in the crick, and <laughs> one of your youngins Jeez. is sick. But you got too many possums, and Mima oh my is good like God. out back trying to get her 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 still to come ready, <sighs> and you and you got no time. So you call those good doctor medicines, and they come and they bring <laughs> that special good juice, and they make you feel better, real good. And you never have to leave your house or the holler, and the crick just stays saved the way it should. Jesus so. Christ! I so I really hope we still get paid for this. GoMed.net. Go check them out yourself. Make your own assumptions. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty cogent analogy. I it thought was. both of those were pretty cogent. I think they were really Some good. Some of y'all are what? Well, I guess my my general point is go to GoMed. They'll get you hooked up real good on the health stuff, especially if you live in the Atlanta area, which I think is where they are right now. It's uh, pretty much exclusive of the Atlanta area, uh, but they are expanding. Uh, get, get you some of that good medicine stuff that none of us understand because we went to a liberal arts school, except for the people at GoMed. And then, yeah, come back and listen to this podcast. 
Sounds good so, to me. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we didn't just embarrass ourselves. I hope not. I hope that's what they wanted. I told them it would be on brand. <laughs> Feels. I feel like, okay, that might not have been good, but it was on brand. It was definitely on brand. And In if, the same way that this UGA LSU loss was not good, but it was definitely on brand for Georgia, <laughs> I would say that that was very on brand for us. That was like the LSU loss of ads. And <laughs> and I'll say they only bought a minute worth of ad and we gave them like five. So that's pretty yeah, good. You can bank that, that credit. Good, good value. Let me just put it out there because I've already put it out there. You just back that truck up and we'll pretty much sell anything. Oh, for yeah. We'll you. sell anything, my friends. Uh, guys, guys, I make I make ninth graders. I make ninth graders care about Shakespeare. I could I could sell I could sell ice not to an Eskimo because that's racist. I could sell ice to someone who lives I don't know, in the upper in the upper non-equatorial regions where it's very dry and very cold. I could sell ice to those people. I like it. I'm, re- I'm a very good salesman. <laughs> very good salesman, boy. Nathan Lawrence. Let's get into our yeah. favorite segment. Yeah, it's time for... Actually... Actually, we're going to... Yeah, we're going to switch some orders up. So we're going to go the... We're going to do the Dr. James Fairfield Troll Corner presented by Cheerwine, the wine that gives you diabetes. TM, TM, TM. Yeah, explain why we're switching the order here, buddy. Oh, yeah. The the real reason we're switching the order is because we're trying to... We don't want to go out on the bummer. And James Bearfield sent us like just the saddest request because he... Immediately after every game... I'm going to paint a picture for you. Immediately after every game, James Bearfield, he sends like the most excited three questions he can find. And it's always you know the same stuff like poem, paradox, something dumb that make Nathan angry. And so... Well, no, um, it's like it's like poem paradox something dumb and then there's always like a good actual interesting football question in there but this time it's just sad so instead no, he's, of, he's got a he's got a good question there is a good I, I football should, question but there's a lot of sad think we should, i think we should do these in reverse order okay that's fine but we we wanted to end with a the ask cbc instead of ending with this so that we can kind of end on a high note because yeah, you know what yeah, yeah. losing games is tough and we're here to yeah. get you through it here it is buddy we're gonna give you that we're gonna give you that. We're gonna give you the real talk that you need to hear. And we're gonna yell obscenities at you, but then also we're gonna like you know, just pat you on the shoulder and say, "Hey, bud, like let's have a beer. We'll, we'll feel better." I don't think we have a beer segment this week, but we'll make one up just to make you feel better. With seven top twenty-five upsets, how do you think that leaves us? Where do you think that leaves us? I think is what it means. Uh, I actually think it leaves us pretty much in control of our destiny. If we went out, we're going for sure. If we, I, we're probably not gonna. If we lose to Alabama at this point, that's the only thing that changes is that we have to beat Alabama. But I would argue that with the way Notre Dame is playing, like you probably got to beat Alabama anyway. So like, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that. I think the the we had marginal percentage points. You know, we might a lot. We went, we might have knocked twenty percentage points off of our chance of going to the CFP. But I didn't really think those were great beforehand. So you know. Um, so how would you equate the paradox of value to UGA right now? Oh, I actually have a pretty good one for this, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> so the paradox of value is the idea that if you take diamonds and water, water is way more value is way more useful in the sense of like bringing value to the world and to our lives than, uh, diamonds are, but diamonds are still way more expensive. And why is that? And, um, what, I, the, the kind of spin I want to put on this, the way I would relate this to UGA right now is that one of the one of the main responses to the to this like sort of question of value in economics came from Adam Smith, who I think he's the father of economics. The father of well, he's the father of like microeconomics. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Adam Smith, who wrote Wealth of Nations, he was sort of the mo- the father of a lot of modern economics. He his idea was that it was the like the labor labor theory of value, basically, which is the idea that um, 
you know, the harder something is to get, the more valuable it is. So since diamonds have to be mined and they're harder to get than water, then it makes sense that diamonds are more expensive than water. Now, there's a lot of different responses to that, but I want to come at this question from that aspect. Because see, I would the way I would relate that to LSU is that we are treating diamonds like water, which is to say that we are treating all this competently played football, win or lose, as though it's like water and we can just find it when really it's like diamonds. And even these losses like are really hard. <laughs> you know, we went to Mama's Boy the other day and we saw three UGA players. I'm not going to say who, but we saw three UGA players when we were at Mama's Boy for lunch on Sunday or for brunch, late brunch. And they were just like pounding so much food down. And I don't think it was because they were fat or anything. <laughs> I think it was because they just had spent so many calories on this game. And I had just been thinking, I was just thinking about how like everyone in that restaurant was sitting there 24 hours after the loss and less than 24 hours ago, those dudes were just getting their faces beat in and they were just sitting there like everybody else. Like, you know, not really getting paid attention to. And to me, that made me just think about how like we undervalue what these kids do for us on like a pretty consistent level. Mm -hmm. We don't value the labor we put in. Like we think about in the same way that we think about like clean drinking water as sort of like just a necessity, which it is. But we also think about it as something that like just happens. It just is. Um, I think that's how we think about these. I think that's how we think about these players a lot. And I think from a value proposition, that's one of the great inequities. That's one of the great ethical conundrums or not conundrums, but like ethical misdeeds when it comes to the current way that college football works is that we're not playing these guys to literally go out and get their, get their tails beat. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's like, even when you win, it's hard. Even when you win, it hurts. You know what I'm saying? And when you lose and everyone's yelling at you and it also hurts. And it's not like you didn't try. It's not like that anybody on this team, you're not going to be on this team if you're not trying. Yeah. Nobody out there on this team like doesn't care. So like when you're talking crap about athletes and you know what, Jake Fromm is going to be probably an NFL quarterback mm -hmm. someday. So he doesn't need my defense or whatever. <laughs> I just mean in general, when you're talking crap about an athlete, you're genuinely talking crap about a dude who's getting extorted and don't even give me like, Oh, the value of his education. That's bullshit. A guy who's getting extorted and, and who has had, un who's, who's basically giving unpaid labor to, to just edify your fat, bad beer drinking swilling ass right and so that just like infuriates me the lack of value that we put in students student athletes especially i, I don't want to say they're student athletes they're athletes that's what they do they should be doing it for a living anyway now that we we're in the right mode um <clears throat> so third question which is the first question he sent but i think i wanted to end on this one uh just give me a sad poem so i got it so I'm going to give you, it's, uh, I would actually say it's probably prose poetry. This is actually a quote from Sylvia Plath's memoir, The Bell Jar. I, I, there's an argument as to whether this is a poem or prose, and it's often quoted as poem, but I think it's a prose poem. Anyway, so Sylvia Plath says, I saw my life branching out before me like the green fig tree in the story. From the tip of every branch, like a fat purple fig, a wonderful future beckoned and winked. One fig was a husband and a happy home and children. And another fig was a famous poet, and another fig was a brilliant professor, and another fig was E.G., the amazing editor, and another fig was Europe and Africa and South America, and another fig was Constantine and Socrates and Attila and a pack of other lovers with queer names and offbeat professions, and another fig was an Olympic lady, lady crew champion, and beyond and above those figs were many more figs I couldn't quite make out. I saw myself sitting in the crotch of this fig tree, starving to death, just because I couldn't make up my mind which of these figs I, I would choose. I wanted each and every one of them. But choosing one meant losing all the rest, and as I sat there unable to decide, the figs began to wrinkle and go black one by one. They plopped to the ground at my feet. So, I think that's pretty sad. 
it yeah, like it's pretty if, sad. if I want to read something that like most taps into my deepest existential anxieties, that's the quote I read. Hey, anxieties, you brought them back around. Existential, <laughs> existential. When you're talking about my anxieties, you're talking about like androids crying into the rain about gunships off the shoulder of Orion. We're not talking about like, oh, are we going to make the bills this month? Yeah, that's fair. Not that there's anything wrong with those anxieties. I just want to say those some real anxieties. Right. Yeah. Hey, let's get into our other favorite segment. Yeah, it's Ask, Ask CBC. CBC. So we really need like an Ask CBC like jingle where you take a bunch of things we said about Ask CBC and put them together into like a little song. Kind of like that. Yeah. But yeah. It's just like that. <laughs> it's just that. It, it, that's the whole jingle. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll start with. Uh, we'll start with Lloyd Ferguson. Lloyd Fer- Ferguson asks: Is Kirby thinking long term when he runs trick plays? We've run a few and had little success. Liz, is he just seeing what he could possibly pull off in the future? Okay, so yeah, Lloyd texted me this after. I think it's just to say, is he just seeing what he could possibly pull Got off? Got it. Future? Okay. Lloyd, Lloyd t- texted me like as the game was ending with these. So these were raw. I actually, I edited out the ones that would have gotten Lloyd in trouble. Okay, good. I think he is. I think Kirby really it does not get Roddy in the sense that like. He, make, he tries to make the best decision he can based on the available data. And I think he saw a look that he liked where it looked like that they were going to have everybody rushing the punt, uh, rushing the kicker. And I also think that he thought, and I mean, and this is not a bad guess. You guess like, okay, well, you got Devin White and you've got, oh, what's their safety's name? Who's so good? Mm. You got both of them out on the side of the play that they're running to. But they're they're if they're rushing, then you figure like, okay, these are two like real track athletes. So if they actually rush the kicker, they're going to run themselves right out of the play. Right. And, and, it, and if that, if they do that, if they are, if they have, if they guess wrong and you guess right, that works and you probably get a touchdown. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, the execution wasn't great and Kamara didn't really throw it that great. But like, I don't really think this is, uh, is he seeing what he could pull off in the future? I think it's just like he likes the looks that he got. And we can argue about whether or not the in the game state, whether or not that was the right decision, you know, but. Uh, in a micro level like whether or not that's the right decision to put that in if you saw something on tape of course it's the right decision right that's why that's why you review tape you review tape so you can you know you make you try to get 50 50 plays to be 60 40 and if you say something that you think is going to make a 60 40 play then possibly get you seven instead of three like you got to take the risk and the fact that it doesn't work really has is really it, it the outcome of the play and this is true for all football the outcome of the play is divorced entirely from whether or not the play was a good idea and that's what's killing us. That's what's killing this fan base right now. Yes, the, running all those pass plays instead of the run plays, that was a bad idea. Yep. An individual play not working, that's not necessarily a bad idea unless you've done it several times and it hasn't worked in the past. Nick Bowers, Ask CBC, thoughts on our punting game? Drew Butler says we are kicking it toward the wrong side per commodity strength. It's been killing our field position with a winded defense after three and outs. Last year, it was a strength. Any way we can mend this wound? I mean, yeah, you just flip the coverage. It's not that hard. Yeah, that, that's. I got. I mean, I think we have pretty good. I mean, there's got to be. Well, first off, Drew. Butler, if Drew Butler says it, Drew Butler is like arguably the best punter in the history of Georgia football. Yeah, I believe so Drew Butler. I think he actually probably is. So I'm, I'm not going to argue. I'm. I'm just going to say like, let's just pretend that's true because Drew Butler's experts and we're idiots. Yeah. But also, <laughs> I could. I mean, we can objectively see that in our stats breakdowns. I mean, if you look at the five factors currently, our field position is 94th and 40 is 94th offensively. Mm-hmm. That's not good. It's 46th defensively. That's still not great. So I will see, you know, what's interesting. I, 
I, I think that that's true. But what it appears to me is that that's the difference between us having a weapon at punter and us having a, a, a replacement level punter. Your punting game is your defensive field position. Like where does your defense start the drives against, where does the opposing offense start drives against your defense? And 46 is above average. Now, the question is, like, you know, if we had him kicking to the right side, could we be in the top three? That's possible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, also, if you have an offense that's not very efficient, you're going to be kicking from deep in your own territory. And at times, we have not always been efficient this year. But, you know, our average field position being so low on offense, that actually probably has more to do with punt return and how our punt returners are kind of dumbasses sometimes. Do you want to do this other my CBC that's clearly not for us, <laughs> but I think is important? I do think it's important. That's why I put it there. This is actually from... Um it's another hashtag AskCBC. And if you haven't heard an episode where we uh, we get these overlaps from the Canadian Broadcasting Network. And this AskCBC is, have you voted yet? This cute 10-year-old wants to know why it is so important. What would you say? And if you click on the link, it is a 10-year-old wondering, like, what's voting? Why do you do it? So, Nathan, what do you got? I mean, I haven't voted, but I am registered. And I'm going to go to the early voting hours. So, yeah, Oh, yeah. Why is it so important? I mean, it's important because fundamentally the exercise of democracy depends on a populace that's willing to exercise its voice Mm -hmm. so go vote go vote right and this is the one thing and every time i talk about politics we get a we get a bad review review. (laughs) yeah yeah well i don't actually this is not a democrat republican thing i don't give a shit we don't care problem with us yeah uh everyone should be able to vote if you are legal and you can legally vote per the laws of this country you should be able to vote and any any impediment to someone voting is not only like should be illegal it's also unethical based on the principles that this this country was founded on voting is like our most fundamental most sacred right as citizens and anything that gets in the way of that sacred right and and i would even consider it to be a sacred enough right that it's kind of like the way it's guilty um until you i you're guilty until you're presumed or you're presumed innocent until you're guilty i think it's kind of like that with voting rights i would rather have a hundred people who are not eligible to vote vote than have one person who is eligible have their vote denied Every single time. And also, if you look at the instances of voter fraud in this country, it's like one or two or three out of millions and millions of votes mm-hmm. cast. That's why it's important. Do you want to do Matt Phillips and then we'll do Nick Toomey's and then Hunter Odoms? Well, the disaster that was help us come to terms with our offensive identity. In other words, give the ball back to, to the back, averaging nearly nine per carry. This is from Matt Phillips, a uh, friend of the show and former secret co-host of the <laughs> episode that was never published. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. I don't really have an objective answer it's to that. It's not up to any... us. <laughs> I think it will. I mean, we got to get back to that, right? There's no other way that... I mean, it, there's not no other way uh, we're going I, to I win, honestly think we'll on. snap back. I mean, let me think. If you pretend that... So if you pretend that that we have... That our coaches have access to the advanced stats that we do, which they do. They actually probably have better, oh, like, better access sure. to stats than we do. If you look at our next couple of games, like... Kentucky is a very good rushing defense, but Florida's is only okay. Like they're Florida's very efficient at defending the run, but they do not prevent explosive run plays very well, and their opportunity rate is not great, and their stuff rate's not great. So, I mean, you would think Florida Florida is definitely a better pass defense, especially efficiency uh, efficiency wise, than they are run defense. So, like if you were smart, that's what you do, and I assume our coaches are smart. So, yeah, I think we'll try to run it down their faces. We're going to read most of what Nick Toomey sent us. He sent us like this giant thing. Nick Toomey has his own blog, actually. So it's the writings of Claudius Monsonius. And he also has a Twitter account. And I can't remember what his Twitter is, actually. Um, his Twitter is at Nick Toomey. I think it's just, yeah, it's <laughs> at just underscore at Nick, Nick yeah. underscore Toomey. T-O-O-M-E-Y. Yeah. Anyway, he is an awesome, awesome writer about UJ Sports. I would say of everybody writing out there, this guy with a blog that I don't think is getting a lot of pub probably writes the closest to where, the way that 
we are as a brand. Yes. Like we, we're ch- to the point where we're trying to do stuff together with him. Like we want to do, we actually have a couple of ideas for like projects to do together. Mm-hmm. And Nick, I'm saying this on air so that like, I can tell you, yes, that is still happening. What we talked about. I still want to do it just because I haven't responded. doesn't mean I don't want to do it. I'm just a dumbass. And it's just very, very well done with like videos interspersed throughout. And oh yeah, videos, I mean, it's very well produced. And he's also just very smart. Yeah. He's a good writer. So this is just some of his stuff. Um, I don't know if you all have plans to do a recap. I had an echo chamber in my head after reading dog tweets, so I figured I'd reach out. So first off, we're on the same page because basically Twitter is the worst thing in the world. And <laughs> if you just read, if you read the Twitter narrative of UJ fans after this game, it's awful. So he says a couple of things that I thought that I thought were interesting. He said the offense doesn't work if they miss the deep ball. So in that way, Jake is somewhat to blame after the miss to Mecole in the first drive and the missed read that should have gone to Terry in the end zone. But after that, really not much left to be analyzed. Crowd gets involved in the LCD, can sell out on the run. Oh, got off schedule and had trouble getting back on. I think that's true. I think that, you know, when you have the deep ball to opening with the run game, that, I think that's part of why that draw play with the shaded nose worked. Um, thought the D did a pretty good job winning first down and causing havoc, but missed assignments, poor IWE gap fits, and poor tackling in the secondary undid the good. All things have been anticipating hurting at some point. That's absolutely true. And I think that part of that was also schematically just how we're playing tight. And this guy and I are on like the same effing mm-hmm. wavelength. We need to meet. He's out of town. Nick, <laughs> I'm telling you this right now on air. Don't take this out. We, we got to hook up, dude, because you and I, we're like, I'm picking up what you're putting down right now. <laughs> I'm not going to read all this. I'm going to read a couple more excerpts, but look, just go, go read this dude's blog. It is really good. It's very, very good. Um, so the real tragedy here, and this is the one I'm going to leave you with, because I think it'll lead us into the next thing. The real tragedy here is that the media and the silly fans will invent controversy that isn't there. J- isn't there. Jake can play, but just had a bad day. I've never known a college QB who started his freshman year and then have a, had a linear growth curve for that remainder of it. Then he says, I write about dogs for the f- people talking on Twitter now, but in all reality, I don't know that I'll ever be able to affect them that much. I'd be better off suggesting they just get another hobby <laughs> so that the fate of their entire habitat isn't ballast precariously on 12 games a year. Nick, Nick Toomey, you're amazing. Those are good, fine words. I'm sure you're going to publish something that's pretty awesome. And it's it's very cool. It's very, very good. You should definitely go check it out. It, well, I'll link it in the show notes, but it's ClaudiusMonsonius.com. Yeah, it's, it's so good. And we, this is not something we're getting paid for, by the nope. way. I just, I just think this guy's the bomb. And if you like us, you'll like his stuff too. Yeah. So Hunter Odom, hit me with that last question. Less a, less a question, more a statement. Everything hurts and I'm sad. Please help. <sighs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> now... We're going to use Hunter as a jumping off point for this, but I just want to say before I get into a lot of the griping I'm going to do is not directed at Hunter. Hunter's former red coat. He knows how the deal, he knows how this stuff works. He gets frustrated, but he's not he's not the person I'm talking to when I say some of the stuff I'm about to say. Just Hunter, love you, buddy. Anyway, so here's here's my thing. Um, losing sucks, right? But every time you lose, and we haven't been losing very very often here, and and you know. We've been winning more and we got more fans and that I think it's awesome. We got more fans of the podcast, we got more fans as UGA and your how long you've been a fan is is not connected, you know, your you the, the value of your fandom is not based on a calendar, Mm-mm. right? How good you are as a fan has nothing to do with how long you've been a fan. Some of the worst fans I've ever met were people who've been going to games since the 60s, right? Doesn't matter. <laughs> what matters is how do you react to what happens, right? And so Maybe you're a UGA fan who hasn't experienced a bunch of losses. Maybe you're a UGA fan, UGA fan who went to the 1980 National Championship. I don't know. But here's what I'm saying. Anytime you have a loss like this, anytime you have a loss that's this disappointing, that just feels like, man, a couple of things go a different way. And, you know, this is a different game. This game is closer than it looked. That's probably true. We have a couple of bad breaks, a couple of bad decisions, a couple of just, you know, boneheaded play calls. And, you know, two or three of those go wrong. And we we're talking about a three-point game in the third quarter, right? Um, anytime that happens... Uh, I think you got to ask yourself a question of why are you a fan? You know what I'm saying? Because 
if you're a fan for the wins, like you're not, you're not doing the right thing. You're not here for the right reason, right? If you're a fan for the wins, you need to find another hobby, as Nick said, because we're not going to win everything. And, and let me just point out that like this, this like literally, literally historical run of success that Alabama is having, it is actually historical in the sense that no program before the advent of Nick Saban at Alabama has ever been as successful as Nick Saban at Alabama. And no program in our lifetime, anyone listening to this is probably going to have been as successful to be as successful as no. that. Let me tell you what that means. It means a couple of things for Alabama fans. And we're actually going to have three poems today, if you count Sylvia Plath as a poem. <laughs> so I want you to think about being an Alabama fan. You, you want that. You can taste it. You can taste those two or three national titles in a row. You can taste just the sm- just competence and so sweet. God, just being so good over and over again and just stamping out champions. So <clears throat> let me read this real quick. Uh, this is by Emily Dickinson. Success is counted sweetest by those who ne'er succeed. To comprehend a nectar requires sorest need. Not one of all the purple hosts who took the flag today. Ha, ha, purple host. Ha. Not one of all the purple <laughs> hosts who took the flag today can tell the definition so clear of victory. As he defeated dying on whose forbidden ear, the distant strains of triumph first agonized and clear. So I think what Dick, uh, sweet Emily is trying to get to there is that if you're an Alabama fan, you don't know what it's like to lose. And winning is only good. It's only really, really meaningful when you've lost. You know what I mean? The, all the wins we had, the Rose Bowl last year, and the end of the Rose Bowl last year for me has very little impact. If I hadn't been at the UCF game in 2010, when we lost to Memphis, when we lost to UCF 9-12 to in the Liberty Bowl, right? It wouldn't have meant anything to me if I hadn't sat through all four quarters of, like, you know, Tim Tebow just whipping that ass on us three or four times in a row. I mean, it wouldn't have been. And in fact, the reason I cried after we won the Rose Bowl is I was thinking about how far we'd come and how much, you know, this meant to me to be here for this after all the time that I'd spent on it. And, you know, and in the band, and this is why, this is kind of why I said Hunter already knows this. In the band, we have this thing that we do where we play the Terra theme from Gone with the Wind. And then we say, once a dog, always a dog. How sweet is it? How sweet it is. And I think that kind of embodies the ethos that the band has. And I think it should embody the ethos that all of us as fans have. You know, like in the band, what do you do when there's a bad player when you lose? You pick your horn up and you play again. You show up at practice on Tuesday. You show up at practice on Thursday and you go to the next game. You put your uniform back on just like that loss had never happened. And that's exactly what the football team is going to do. And it would behoove you if you want your fan, if you want your fandom to be valuable to the people around you and to yourself, that's what you need to do. If you are a fan because we just win, you're not, well, I would say this is a no true Scotsman argument, but you're arguably, you're not even a fan, right? And so I'm going to leave you with my parting words today and we can do an outro or whatever, but here are my parting words today. I'm going to quote you a poem by William Ernest Henley. Um, it's called Invictus. And I'm, I actually know this poem from heart, so I don't have to read it. But um, uh, William Ernest Henry was this guy who was a, he's really important to the English literature. He was the first guy to write an English journal. But anyway, he lost both his legs to tuberculosis. Jesus. And he wrote this poem. Yeah, he did. He wrote this poem in a tuberculosis word after he lost his second leg. So if you think you've had a bad week, shut the hell up. <laughs> so this is called Invictus. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I think whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears lies but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Here's my message to you. 
You can't control if UGA wins every game. You can't control what players do. You can't control what focus coaches do. You can't control what refs do. God only knows. What you can control, what you can captain, is how you respond to what happens to you. And that doesn't just reflect on you. It reflects on everybody else who puts that G on every Saturday. So before you're going to run your mouth on Twitter next time, think about it and delete your Twitter account. And with that, I'm going to say this has been Chapel Bell Curve. I'm not going to uh, keep it too long because I want to just let us ride out on the coattails of that one. Thanks to Bill Connolly for unknowingly letting us use his stats. Uh, thank you to Claudius Monsonius for writing an awesome blog. Go check out his blog. And until next time we see you guys, I'm sure we'll see you between now and next time we go down to Jacksonville. But uh, as always, go, go dogs. dogs.